lot of this kind of hits home. A lot of this hits, uh, hit us where it hurts. I mean, it's the areas we struggle with. God didn't tell us these things because we don't struggle with them. They're not things that are on the peripheral. They're things that are within me. They're things that I struggle with, not just on a yearly basis, not just on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, a daily basis. We struggle with these things. And so these are the 10 things. It's amazing. Think about this. God wants you to know 10 things about life. And he wants you to share these 10 things. He wants you to know them, he wants you to live them, and he wants you to share them. What an amazing thing. What an amazing truth for us to have this morning as we look to God's word. And if you missed any of the, of the series, you can go back to our website. It's all there. And we started the series with one God. And everyone wins when you put God first. Everyone wins when you put God first. Your marriage wins when you put God first. As a parent, I know as a dad, I win as a dad Not when I put Mike first, but when I put God first. In your job, in your neighborhood, in society, everybody wins when we put God first. What would the world look like if everyone put God first? It would be a drastically different world that we live in. Number two, no idols. Let's be worshipers of God and not be idolaters. Let's worship God together. Let's be in, in love with God. You know, God gave us his word. It's his love story to us to tell us he wants us to know him and, and to be in relationship with him. Let's be worshipers of God. A worshiper is giving everything of my heart and my soul and my strength, returning to the Lord. Number three, do not misuse the Lord's name. Carry his name well. If I claim to be a follower of Christ, I need to carry his name well. I need to, I need to reflect the truths of who he is. I need to be an honest uh, representation of Christ here on earth. Number four, keep the Sabbath holy. We need a holy day. You and I need a day where we can gather together and talk about this stuff. I need a day, you need a day to be refreshed, a day to relax from the stresses and anxieties of life and to focus in on God. And in those moments, knowing he's a loving God who cares for me and desires for me to know him even more. A day set out of the week that I schedule into my life where I focus on God is what we all need. Everyone needs this. It's a part of how God created the universe. Number five, honor your father and mother. For that to work, we need to be honorable. I need to be an honorable person. When people are watching or not watching, I have to be a person of character, integrity. I have to be honorable. It's it's something that's so valuable. And when it's lost in the culture, when it's lost in a community, you see the the effects that people begin to do unhonorable things because it's not held up as something worthwhile. Number six, do not murder. Do not murder. God's solution to hate is forgiveness. I need to forgive. I can't murder people in my heart every day. Yes, people will wrong you in life. Yes, people will do things to you that hurt and are painful and are unjust and unrighteous, and you didn't deserve it to happen to you. But you holding on to that and murdering them in your heart every day is allowing them to continue to hurt you. And God wants to give you freedom from that. He wants you to live a life of freedom in knowing that you are forgiven. And he is just. God is just. And his justice is perfect. And so whatever has happened to you, he will deal with. Now in return, you must live a life of asking for forgiveness. Because guess what? You and I hurt people as well. And so we need to be aware of this. This idea of forgiveness is uh, so prevalent and so important to us. Do not commit adultery. Plan to be faithful. 
Plan to live a faithful life. Don't expect it. Don't assume it. Plan it, right? You got to plan it. You got to think about it. You got to be intentional about these things. Do not steal. Be generous to God. Don't steal from him, right? God says, I own everything. Everything is mine. And so when you're generous, you're generous to God. When you steal, you're stealing from God. And so be generous because you're really stealing from yourself. You're stealing your value. You're stealing your worthwhileness. You're stealing from yourself when you steal. And then last week we talked about do not lie. The truth will set you free. Nothing will destroy a relationship more than lying. Nothing will destroy your potential at work, your family, your relationships, your finances, like lying. Lying is a time bomb that destroys things. The truth, even when it hurts, it hurts in a way that it'll set you free. Even when the result isn't immediately what you want, the long-term result will always be what you want. And so truth is so valuable. These are nine things that God wants us to understand. He wants us to know as human beings, these are going to be the traps. These are going to be the areas that you're going to have to focus in on. When Jesus died on the cross and gave us grace, he gave us grace so that we could live into this, so that we could understand now we are set free from this bondage to sin, set free from this, uh, this power of sin in our life, and we can have victory. And when you have victory, you have joy. And when you have joy, it just emanates from you, and people see it, and they know it about you. And so number 10 today, do not covet. Do not covet. All right, so you're going to find this hard to believe, I'm sure. But when I was about 10, 11 years old, I used to watch uh, the NBA basketball. And there was a, a guy who played, who had a shaved head, and he could dunk from the foul line. And his name was Michael Jordan. All right? And as I got older, I got to 13 or 14 years old. Do you know what my prayer every night was to the Lord? I, my, probably the strongest area of faith I had in my life at that time was, God, please make me six foot six. <laughs> Lord, I will go to church. I will read the entire Bible every year. I will tell everybody about you. I was negotiating the best deal I possibly could come up with with God, that he would do this amazing gift for me. And I would, in my mind, feel my legs growing, like I'm getting taller as I talk to the Lord. And do you know what God said to me? You, can, you see the results. I'm here. <laughs> I didn't get to that. I didn't get close. I didn't get nowhere near that, right? But you know, a lot of my life, a lot of my life, I coveted those that were taller. I looked and said, man, why can't I be like that? Why can't that be me? Why did God make me the way he made me? And you know, one of the greatest dangers I see in life is you can spend your whole life looking around and saying, why not me? Why did they get it and I didn't? Why do they have that and I don't? And you can miss an amazing life. You can miss the blessings and abundance that God has for you if you get so distracted by what you don't have. And so this morning, as we kind of culminate all of it together, we bring this whole beautiful 10 statements of God together. Uh, we come to this last and very unique of the 10 statements, the 10 commandments. You see, all of the other ones, the first three deal with our relationship to God, that he has to be first. We have to set aside time to be with him. And then the rest deal with our relationships with each other. I'm not to steal or lie or, or commit adultery. But this last one is not about an act. It's about a thought. 
It's our thinking. It's the thing that I can't see about you. I can see what's on the exterior, but I have no idea what your brain is doing. And nobody knows any of our true thoughts. And so God is diving into our very thought life, and he's saying, here's one thing I want you to know, I want you to live, and I want you to share. Don't covet. If you covet, there will be problems. There will be unnecessary challenges in your life. There will be issues and problems if you don't recognize how important this statement I'm making to you is. And so as we look to God's word, because God's word has a lot to say about this, let's precede it with prayer and ask him just to speak to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the hope that you give us. And Lord, I pray that at this moment that we would be refreshed with your spirit. We would be refreshed with your words. And Lord, that we would connect um, truth in a new way in our heart and our life and how we live our lives. And Lord, I think even more importantly, Lord, that this is, these are principles we live out and that we apply them and that uh, those that see us see that these are parts of who we are. And so, Lord, I just ask as we look to your word, we know it won't return void, but Lord, we also know we can reject it. And so help us to be um, open vessels to you right now, that we would be in tune with your spirit, in tune with these words so they can transform us. Help our minds to be renewed in these moments. Renew our thoughts. Renew, um, Lord, our hearts. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've gone through the story of how we got these Ten Commandments, we've seen Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses. You know, Joseph brought them to Egypt. They were 400 years slaves. And then they're released uh, uh, by Moses. And then they, remember, they, they wander in the wilderness. And now they finally get to the promised land. The thing that had been promised to Abraham, now they show up in the promised land. And uh, they want to establish a nation. And so they, remember, they take on Jericho, and then they, they move outward, and they establish the nation of Israel, which we see today. The nation of Israel is established, northern and southern kingdoms. Well, one of the things that happens as this begins to take place is the people begin to grumble. And they begin to look around at the other nations around them, and they say, there's one thing missing. There's something missing from our nation. There's something missing they said, how come all these, you know, the, the, the Philistines and all these other groups have kings and we don't have a king? And so they begin to talk and they say, we need to have a king. And this is where we pick up uh, with Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 9. And this is this discussion that Samuel has with God. Uh, but when they say, give us a king to lead us, this, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that what the the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And so God's response to Samuel is, they're coveting these other nations. They want what everybody else has. They want to be just like all the other nations. And he says, Samuel, don't get upset. It's not you that they're rejecting. It's me that they're rejecting. They have decided that 
God as king is not enough. They have decided that God as king is not enough. And I would say there may be no clear definition of coveting in any of our lives, in any of our hearts, than to say, I need that because what God has given is not enough. I need this in my life. I need to be like this. I need to have this. I need to have the appearance of this because what God has given is not enough. And not only do I want it, I will do whatever it takes to get it. I will focus my life on it. I will focus all of my attention on getting what God hasn't given me so that I can fulfill this desire that I believe this is better than what God has for me. And so God said, look, just warn them. When you get what you want, prepare to get what you have. When you get what you want, you may not like it. When you get what you so fondly desire, you may not like it. I like to call it, they had the case of the if-onlys. Have you ever met someone like this? I mean, in college, there were so many people that were like this. The if-only people. If only I looked like that. If only I had a car. If only if I had money. If only I had this person as my girl or boyfriend. If only I had those grades. If only I had this or that. There are so many people, they live their whole life with this horrible disease called the if-onlys. And anytime you talk to them, they always bring up the if-onlys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If only this, then that would be the way it should be. I can't. If only I had this, then I would do that. Right? If only, if only, if only. This is what the Israelites are doing. If only we had a king, we would be satisfied. If only we had a king, we would really have it together. If only we had an earthly king, a man that we could see and we could uh, honor, then things would be right. It's the case of the if onlys. And you know, this is like a really sneaky trap that we all fall into. If only I was young again. If only I was older. If only I had a bigger house, a better car. If only, if only, if only. Unfortunately, if only is a lie. And it's a lie that destroys. Exodus chapter 10, 17 is what we're building off of today. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. His yacht, his oceanfront property, right? (laughs) All right. Here's what coveting is. Coveting is telling God, my life is not good enough. Coveting is telling God, my life is not good enough. You didn't make me right. You messed up, God. You put these people in my life. You put this scenario in my life. You put this situation in my life. You allowed this to happen to me. Uh, It's not enough. It's not good enough for me. God, whatever you have for me, I have something better for me. Coveting. And it's not just that, because that's the surface. Sometimes there are things that God allows us to want because he wants to better us. Coveting is taking that step that says, I don't care, God, if you want me to have this or not. I'm going to do what it takes to get it. So if I want my neighbor's house, I may lie to get them arrested 
or I may do something to break a pipe or make it so expensive they can't live there anymore. I'm going to do, if I want it, I'm going to get it, right? Anything, house, car, wife, husband. It's not just the wanting. It's the I will do whatever it takes to get it. This coveting. If you look at the Hebrew word here, that coveting, it's much bigger than just wanting. It's yearning. It's willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And unfortunately, what it does is it puts us in the position of God and we say, we know what's best for us and we're going to get what's best for us. And that's why it's so destructive. And that's why it's so prevalent. And in the end, when we play God, things fall apart. When we think we know better for what we need than God, things fall apart. We see it throughout Scripture in the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And so James is saying, look, you know why you go to war? You know why you have so many battles all over the place in your life? Because you're not satisfied with what God has given you and you want someone else's life. You want what they have. You want whatever it is. And that that desire in you, it causes war. Coveting causes war. It produces war in your life. It produces war in your marriage. It produces war at your work. It produces war in your family. It produces war everywhere it goes. It produces war. And not a good war, but a war that just destroys. A war that tears down. A war that destroys families. It destroys work. It destroys potential. It destroys opportunity. Coveting is destructive. It's harmful. And yet we live in a world... How much of your time this week are you going to be bombarded by advertising? From your computer, your tablet, your phone, to the television. How many things are going to be sold to you this week? And what are they selling you? You need this. If you had this, everything would be wonderful. If only you had this, only 10 payments of $29.95 plus shipping and handling. Right? We are desensitized to the fact that every day, us and our children are bombarded with the what-ifs and we-needs. And it's never enough. It'll never be enough. The more you get, the more you need. And it, you know what it feeds? It feeds our covetousness. It feeds, that, and we don't even recognize this, but it feeds a covetousness within us that I need more, I need more, I need more. I need that, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And coveting is war. And sometimes we do war against our own souls. Because we're never satisfied. It's never enough. It's never good enough. And that steals joy from our lives that Christ wants us to have. What did Jesus say? He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or what clothes you'll wear. Doesn't God clothe the lilies? Doesn't he take care of the birds? How much more will he bless you? How much more will he take care of you? 
First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. These are the three things we've struggled with since the tree. When Satan tempted Eve, he said, did God really say not to eat? And she said, yeah, he said it. And then she began to convince herself that it was good to see, the fruit was good to the eyes, and it was going to be good to the taste, and that it would make her equal with God. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's the problem with all of us as humans. It's the dysfunction of sin. It is the outpouring of what the virus of sin does on the inside of us. It makes our eyes lustful. It makes our flesh lustful. And it makes us want to be better than everyone else because we are prideful. It's why things like racism exist. It is why things that are horrible in our world exist because we want to be better than everybody and we want to look out there and see what do I want and we want to know what feels good when we get it. It is the trap of traps and we all fall into it because sin is still prevalent in this world. Sin is still a struggle we all deal with. And so here we're told, don't fall into the world's way. The world says, trust your eyes, whatever your eyes want, go for it. Trust your flesh, whatever's going to make you feel good. It's just a gut feeling I have to do this. It's just a gut feeling. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Well, a gut feeling is as much of the flesh as you're going to get. Be careful if you're living your life by gut feelings. Or, I just need it. I got to keep up with the Joneses. I can't have this car. They have this car. I can't have that size of house. Look at their house. I got to keep up with what's up, right? It's the world we live in. This is a temptation we all struggle with. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life causes us to covet, covet and covet and covet. So this is a major problem. This is how it's summarized by Jesus in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. The problem with coveting is it leads to war and death. It is, at an essence, sin. And when Jesus came to this world, when God humbled himself and became a human and lived a perfect life and died on a cross and rose again, he didn't raise again just so our flesh could be fulfilled. He rose again so that we could live in newness of life, a spirit-filled life, recognizing that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is a waste of our time, a waste of our energy, and a waste of our lives. And to covet after things is the biggest waste of the greatest gift we've been given, the gift of life. Spending any moment coveting after anything is the greatest waste of our lives. And so what is the answer then? We all feel the problem. We all feel the tension of the issue. We all recognize it's rampant everywhere. You don't have to teach a child to covet. We all struggle with it. It is what we are. 
So what's the answer? How do we overcome it? How do we live in newness of life? How do we live in freedom? Romans 12, 1 and 2 leads us to the answer. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All of that leads us basically to daily sacrifice and mind renewal. What do I sacrifice? Here's what I have to sacrifice is Michael Peter Bailey every single day. I will not be controlled by the lust of my eyes. I will not be controlled by the lust of my flesh. I will not be controlled by the pride of life. I sacrifice those three things today in the name of Christ. And I lay them at the altar because they will suck me in. They will control me. I don't want them to. I will not allow them to because I'm handing it to God. And so I sacrifice I sacrifice my sinful desires, I place them on the altar, and I give them to the Lord every single day. Because every single day, they come back. All day long, they come back. And then I renew my mind. I empty my mind of the junk, and I put some really good stuff into my mind. I was created on purpose. I was formed together in my mother's womb. Every day has been appointed. I am headed to my father's house. He has gone to prepare a room for me, that where he is, I can be also. That's exciting. I'm not headed towards uh, the end of the United States. I'm not headed towards the sun exploding. I'm not headed for a meteor hitting the earth. I'm not headed for any of the things that everyone seems to be so worried about. I'm headed for my father's home. My father's house where it's amazing. There's no more of this. This is over. This time is coming on. That's where we're headed. But I got to remind myself, because when I turn the TV on, when I look at the news, oh, what's going to happen? Are we going to be attacked again? What's going to happen? Are are we going to lose all our rights? I can live in fear, and I can live in absolute destructive mode. And I have to renew. My my mind gets full of junk. I got to renew it. You've got to renew it. Renew that mind. Tell your mind truth. You have been set free. What pain or what what does sin have over you anymore where is its sting the venom is destroyed you have freedom in christ i have to when we come here the goal is to renew our minds because we're all walking in this world that is just telling us a bunch of garbage all the time we need renewal of our minds we need sacrifice am i willing to sacrifice my wants and my passions that are unholy and renewing my mind so I can live an abundant life, live the life that God intended me to live. Paul is such an amazing example of this. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What's the answer to coveting? Gratitude. Thanksgiving. Do you know what kills coveting? Gratitude. 
If I'm spending all day, thank you for my wife, thank you for my kids, thank you for this church, thank you for food and running water, thank you for air conditioning, thank you for gravity, thank you for the ocean, thank you for the sky. It's hard for me to look around and say, well, I don't, what if I had that? If only I had this, if only I had that. It's really just where you focus this beautiful thing that God has given you, your mind. You can focus it on what you don't have, or you can focus it on gratitude. This morning, I was reminded of a beautiful poem of a man that was so sad because he had no shoes. I don't have any shoes. So unfair, I don't have any shoes. Until he saw a man who had no feet. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to say thank you for. That we don't need to spend time coveting. Wanting what we don't have. Worrying about what we don't have. Focusing on what we don't have. Can you learn to be content in all things? I think it's really important. This is something I think about quite a bit. It's this statement. I will not be controlled by my desires and environment, but by the Lord. I will not be controlled by my desires or my environment, but by the Lord. You know, it's really easy for me is to be controlled by my environment. Oh, this isn't going right. Ugh, right? I'm only happy when things are good. Your environment shifts. It's never stable. I don't want to be controlled by that. I don't want to be controlled by my desires because a lot of desires are very harmful, unfortunately. And so I don't want to be controlled by them. I want to be controlled by the Lord. Do you want to be controlled by the Lord? Because something's going to control us. Something is. It's just a matter of what are we going to intentionally pursue to lead us. How do we apply this? Paint has no, it's not, it doesn't have any purpose if you don't apply it, right? If it's in the can, it's not helping anybody. We've heard the paint. The paint is obvious. I, there's things I got to do in my life. There's things I got to start doing in my life or I have to deal with. And here's how I can apply this to my life. First, recognize the danger of coveting. We are amazing. We are like the greatest lawyers of all time at convincing ourselves these are not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. Eh, Everyone does it. It's not a big deal. Why are you making such a big deal about it? We convince ourselves that these things don't really matter. Right? And then we fall into the trap. And then we get really far down in that trap. We don't need to get really far down in the trap to recognize it is a big deal. And it does matter. And it does impact every area of our lives. And so we need to deal with it. Can't sweep it under the rug. Can't turn our eyes away from it and pretend like it doesn't exist. Got to deal with it. How do I deal with it? You repent. You say, I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. My Savior's perfect, but I'm not. And I need help. I need more than help. I need the Holy Spirit of God to start 
building new thoughts into my life. I need his power to help me to see the good instead of always the bad. I need his power to help me to focus on the the positive and the, the things that I'm grateful for than the things that aren't so great. I need the Holy Spirit of God in my life to do this. And he wants to do that for us if we're willing to honestly talk to him about it and honestly submit it to him. Daily focus on what you're grateful for and thankful for. You know, they did a, a study. Um, it was a sociological study. They were trying to find out how we work as humans. And they found out that people who started the first eight minutes of every day, if they started out in a grateful attitude, it had the greatest impact on the rest of the day than any other factor. And if you started out the day in a negative way, the first eight minutes of the day, then it had the greatest effect on the day. As if, as if the God of the universe created it for us to live in a thankful manner beginning of the day for the whole day. As if our brains were hardwired to be grateful and that's the best way they function. It's an amazing thing the more you learn, the more you see the handiwork of God. But it's a commitment it's making the decision to daily focus. Focus is not easy. You have to focus. Right now, you can blur everything out or you can focus. It's your decision. Submit your ways to the Lord. Give them over to him and let him lead. For any of this to work, there's only one way it works. It's not by power or might. It's not by how good or smart or talented any of us are. None of us can do this in our own power. None of us are smart enough to make this happen. You have to be born spiritually. When I was 16 years old, I had lived 16 years old as a physical human. But it wasn't until I was 16 that I became a spiritual being. That my spirit was brought to life by the Holy Spirit of God. That I repented of my sin and I believed in Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Radically. And I, got ba- I can remember my baptism. My dad baptized me. And it's impacted everything about my life since. Everything. The Holy Spirit of God. To be twice born. You miss out if you're only physically born in this life. You miss out on so much. But that's not the big problem. You miss out on really what's yet to come. And if you want to be twice born, you just say, I know I'm, I'm, I'm sinful. I know I struggle. I want to turn from that. I want to give that to you. I believe you died on a cross, rose again, and that through your sacrifice, I can be saved. Through your resurrection, I have hope. Finally, what is God telling you? Maybe you've made that decision. Maybe you know you're twice born. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you just need some encouragement. You need some challenge. I don't know where you are, but God does, and he speaks to all of us individually. Throughout scripture, he spoke directly to individuals. And so I would encourage you to meditate on this verse if you're trying to hear from the Lord today. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. That is a promise from God to us that we can claim right now. I won't trust my, I I have no, you know, what's the future? I don't know. I know who holds the future. I know who's in control of the future, but I don't know it completely. So I'm not going to trust my own understanding. I'm not going to will my way to success. 
I'm not going to force the doors open. 